And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourself under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourself. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seers of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham, Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and he set it before them and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. This is the word of the Lord. First thing I want you to notice about this text is that hospitality is a big deal in the ancient Near East. In fact, it sort of is a big deal. If you went to a, you know, a country like Lebanon or you went to a country like Syria or a country like Jordan, uh, hospitality is really important. It, you're supposed to be, as a host, generous and kind. You have to ensure that your guests have a great experience. And if you don't do that well, you're kind of scum in those societies. If you're not hospitable, then you're a bad kind of guy. And you can read stories in the Bible of people who aren't hospitable, and it really ticks people off. There's a story of David when he shows up and this guy's not hospitable to him. And he's so angry that he's going to go kill the dude. It's, it's pretty amazing. In, in that time, it was really... a a, a kind of a slight to come out and challenge people and to not have people over. And so we get into a glimpse into who Abraham was as a man. And he is a hospitable man. And we see this one thing stand out magnificently and this kindness that Abraham shows to complete strangers. Well, at least to him, complete strangers. He's become a man of note, a man of character, a man of virtue. He's willing to open up his household to travelers. He attempts to make their journey more comfortable. Uh, but little does Abraham know that this journey is going to be one that ends in one of the greatest individual events of judgment that we're going to see throughout the entire breadth of the Bible. And today, my sermon is titled, uh, it's kind of like an Instagram title today, Full Bellies, Full Hearts what I've gone for. And the most powerful and remembered moments that we have sometimes is when someone opened up their house and invited us in, when someone opened up their life and invited us in. And it doesn't have to be inviting someone over to the house. Sometimes it was just an invitation to sit with a new friend in school. 
Other times, it was an acceptance letter to a prestigious university or a workplace that invited you out for drinks after work so you get to know everyone. Or maybe it was that older lady who invited you over for jam and scones and you're still stoked about it today. Hospitality seems to scratch an itch that we all have. This desire to have a sit, a seat at the table. To have a place to belong, a location to call home, and a people to call our own. Hospitality is right at the heart of what it means to be human and what it means to have a human experience. It's the highest virtue in all, one of the highest virtues in all of Scripture. And here we find it expressed through the actions of Abraham. And there's a lot to learn here. I've got three points that I'm going to work through. My first point is pursue hospitality. My second point, honor the guest. And my third point is to love the true host. So first point, pursue hospitality. Here we have Abraham sitting by the Oaks of Mamre, which is this small forested area um, near Jerusalem. Uh, you know, it's a few kilometers away. And we get, uh, we get this idea that he, the, he sees these three men. He's sitting in the, uh, in the door of his tent and he sees some three men in the heat of the day. This is a big deal. The hottest part of the day in this area in Palestine is a big deal. Traveling in the heat of the sun can be potentially lethal. And we know what it's like to walk, go for a bit of a walk in the better part of a 40 degree day. It is not good. And if you do not have enough fluids, you may end up in the emergency room of the nearest hospital. Some of us have uh, fallen into heat exhaustion and heat stroke, and they are not fun things to have. And so Abraham sees these strangers. He doesn't know who these men are. And he sees them passing by his tent door and he runs to them. Now, you must understand, a man of his character, a man of his note, to run is considered shameful. To run is not what you do, especially when you're 99 or maybe 100 years old. You send someone else to do it. But Abraham sees this as so important that he runs over to them. It's quite youthful for a man of his age. But he gets there uh, and immediately Abraham kicks everything into gear. And you'll notice that there's this urgency which Abraham took to find an opportunity to be hospitable. It's clear that these men, they're not merely average guys, right? These aren't just three random dudes. Abraham bows before them. He has some level of recognition that they're special, that there's something weird going on with these three men, but he's not quite sure. If they're nobility, if they're royalty, they'd have an entourage, right? They'd have a big, long caravan. They'd have camels and horses. They'd have servants treating them, but it's just three guys, Three guys on their own. The stature, the way they held themselves, their appearance, it was such that Abraham saw them as deserving honor and respect. And we're going to find out that there was actually a lot about these guys. They were probably, I mean, we don't know this for certain, but they were probably very handsome. Because when these guys, a couple of these guys show up in uh, the city of Sodom, they're very desired. We'll get to that when we get to it. But Abraham wouldn't have recognized who these men were until after they finished their meal, until after his act of kindness was finished. And he begs them to stay. In verse 3, he says, O Lord, if I found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought to wash your feet and rest yourself under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourself and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. Now, most people, when they perform favors, they expect a return, don't they? When they do something nice to you, they expect you to do something nice to them. It's kind of you scratch my back, 
I'll scratch your back. But here, Abraham does this for complete strangers. There is no hope of a return when it's a complete stranger. He isn't doing this to get his favor uh, returned. And I find it interesting how much Abraham just downplays his hospitality, right? He kind of downplays everything he's about to do. He's like, oh, I'll just bring you a morsel of bread. Just a little water, you know, just a, just a little bit. You just stay there, I'll do a little bit, and then you guys can go on on your journey. And he's trying to convince them to stay. He's trying to convince them, no, 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 don't move on, don't move on. I'll just do a little bit for you, then you can go on. Uh, and when you travel in sandals in a dusty kind of sandy place like that, you know, your feet are just filthy. Like your feet get filthy very quickly, especially in the heat of the day. You'll be sweating buckets. Your whole legs will be covered in dirt. And he's saying, you know, stay, I'll wash your feet. I'll wash your feet for you. And it's fascinating that Abraham is going to wash the feet of the Lord. This is serious service from a man as distinguished and respectable as Abraham. And it shows that although Abraham had become wealthy and he had made a name for himself, he was not below serving the stranger. He was not below helping out some people in need. He was still kind and generous to those who were on the outside. Now in the book of Job, Job is called an upright man. You remember this guy? You remember Job? He's an upright man. God actually brags about Job. He says, look at my servant Job. Is there anyone else on earth that is as upright as he? And then we look uh, at something that Job did in Job 31, 32, and it's very similar. Job says the sojourner, the sojourner is the traveler, or has not lodged in the street. The, tra- the sojourner has not lodged in the street. I have opened my doors to the traveler. He's saying he's not making people sleep outside when they're traveling. He's inviting them into his house. He's opened his doors to these people that need help. This is part, this is the behavior of a godly man who who was entrusted with wealth and prosperity by God. And he knew how to use his wealth. He knew how to use his wealth to serve others and not himself. He didn't use God's blessing to bless himself but to bless the outsider, to bless the stranger. He became a conduit of God's blessing. And if you have wealth, then you have wealth because God wants you to be a conduit of His blessing. And you can see how well Abraham's house is run. In a second, he can whip up a lavish feast for these men. He runs straight to his wife, Sarah, and he says, this morsel of bread, right? This small amount of bread that he wants her to make is three seers. And if you were a Hebrew person, you'd be like, what? But, you know, we have no idea what it is. But that's around 22 liters of flour he wants her to bake some breads with. He's not just baking them a morsel of bread. He's baking them a banquet. He's baking them bread to take on their journey. He runs out to the herd and he takes a calf. You know, that calf is held for special feasts, for special moments. And he kills the calf. And it says, the text says that it was tender and good. He has this young man prepare it quickly. And you'll notice the language here. It's quick, quick, quick. The urgency before they leave, let's get all this ready for them. And he puts before them uh, their food, their bread. He puts before them the calf, but he also gets some milk and some curds, some cheese. That's this massive feast. And he gives it to these men. Abraham saw a need and he met it. And he met it with a level of grace that's kind of shocking to us, isn't it? He met it with a level of generosity that's shocking to us. But we can see in his example 
how we should be when one of us falls into a need. And this happens all the time. When someone has a baby, what do we do? We sign up, we make them a meal, don't we? We make sure that they're well cared for. When someone's close loved one dies, we ensure that they're taken care for. When we see need within our church, we want to make sure that our people are being taken care of. That people that you don't know within church, you invite them over for a meal. doesn't matter whether they're in the same life stage as you. You get them over. You make sure that they're cared for. You invite the maid at work or the lady down the street or the poor person or the outcast. If you see a need, you meet it. If you see a, a person that needs friendship, you invite them in, you welcome them in. And so hospitality, is that a strong part of your personality or is that a weak part? Just know that it's a non-negotiable part to God. It's not a negotiable part. All Christians should be welcoming and hospitable and invite the outsider in. It's better to invite the person at church that you struggle with than it is to invite someone that you can get something from or someone that's friendly to you or someone that's in a high position. Number two, honor the guests. We find out that these men are angels. Therefore, none of them needed his hospitality. They didn't need anything. The, hot, the heat of the day was no, no problem for these angels. It was no issue for them. They're clothed in human bodies. They're given this material body to act within the material realm. They're not under the same restraints that we are. However, at this stage, Abraham doesn't know until they begin to deliver a message to both Abraham and Sarah. In fact, they are here for Sarah. They are here to tell her the good news. And what is the good news? Verse 9, they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Well, these angels know the name of Abraham's wife. Seems they know him quite well. They know the promises made by God. And even more fascinating is that one of these three men is identified as the Lord. And here we have the Lord coming to Abraham's camp. One of these three men is God himself. And God is appearing here as a man before Abraham, disguised that he could pass off as a noble and distinguished man. But here is God. And this kind of stuff does not happen frequently. In fact, it rarely happens. And if you ever see it, it's usually the book of Genesis, a particular time when God was meeting his people and communicating them in a language they could understand. But we see ultimately God revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. But Abraham here is called a friend of God, not in the text, but this is how Abraham would become to be known. Why? At James 2.23, it says Abraham was called a friend of God. In fact, every time the Old Testament talks about Abraham, they use this title, a friend of God. Why? Because Abraham hosted God. He had a meal with God. He welcomed God into his home. And if you welcome someone into your home in this culture, you were their friend. This is why the Pharisees had such a hard time with Jesus eating with sinners. They'd say, you got, you're eating with tax collectors and sinners. Why? Because that implied you were friends with them, that you had a good relationship with them. You don't eat with people you don't like. Abraham is called a friend of God. He invites God into his household and he makes him a meal. 
Amazing stuff. And here the Lord promises that Sarah is going to have a son within a year. All this time waiting, it's happening quick. Everything seems quick in this passage now. By the time the Lord returns in a year, she will have a son. Abraham's heart would have been racing at this point because he really realized who these people were and what was going on. But Sarah, on the other hand, reacted quite differently, didn't she? Verse 11. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? You can understand it. Sarah had become bitter. She was cynical about her lot in life. It's been decades, absolute decades of this joy being withheld from her. She has never been able to have a child. And for so long, she faced this increasing cultural pressure to fall pregnant and to have a son, and she didn't. She was the woman of the house. She was supposed to bear uh, an heir for Abraham, and she didn't, wasn't able to do it. And it's made her pessimistic and negative and probably even angry. And now she hears she's going to fall pregnant after all this time. And you'd think she'd be like Abraham and just be full of joy, but she isn't. She laughs, but not the same laugh that Abraham did last week. It wasn't with admiration or joy, but she laughs with cynicism and derision. And it's before she can catch herself. It just slips out of her. It's very impolite to do a company when they come but it slips out of it before she can catch it and we've all had moments like that when something rude or impolite has just kind of slipped out of our mouth before we had a moment to kind of catch it and our tongues often get us in more trouble than they get us good this is exactly what happens to sarah here and god calls her out he brings it out into the open he says why did sarah laugh he, he talks to abraham Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Problem is that Sarah, she hadn't come to terms with the power of God. She was still looking at things from a human perspective, with her own flawed reason, with her own uh, categories that she had set up for herself. She's still thinking... What's possible is what she and Abraham can accomplish. And they have not been able to accomplish this son. So therefore, this is not going to happen. This cannot happen. She was unable to conceive of this miracle. And in her bitterness and maybe even anger, it slipped out in laughter. It slipped out in mocking. And she limits the power of God to what she could understand. And this is how she has wronged God. She failed to acknowledge his power. But we shouldn't be so hard on her. Because aren't we the same? Don't we do this all the time? We limit God to what he can accomplish. We see the world through our human limitations and we see everything in those limitations and we limit God with them. We assume that God is limited to it, to it and not his own power and might. When God sends us places, we think, the classic one I hear from a lot of Christians is, ah, God's not going to use me. He can't use me. He can't do anything through me. I'm, I'm an idiot. I can't speak very well. I'm not eloquent. I'm not smart enough. I'm not insert blank right here enough. We bury our talents into the ground instead of putting them to work. We limit God 
And here Sarah is doubting God because she thinks she isn't fertile enough. But is anything too hard for the Lord? No. Have we learned that lesson? Do we believe that things are too hard for the God? Because we wrong God when we limit Him. He's powerful and He is not limited to what our small minds can comprehend. He's not limited to our inadequate intellect. Sarah makes it worse for herself because she pretends it doesn't, didn't happen. Does it, right? Once again, God calls her out. He says, Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. You did laugh, Sarah. Now, this exact same thing happens to Zechariah in Luke 1. Fascinating story between Zechariah and his wife. And it's about the story of John the Baptist. John the Baptist's parents were elderly and God promised a baby to them. But when Zechariah doubted God, what happened to him? He was mute. He was made mute until the baby was born. He wasn't able to speak. He had to stay silent the whole time. He was judged. But did Sarah fall under judgment for this? Did she fall into, into some problems with God? No, because he does not punish her. But he did demand honesty from her. He wanted her to be honest about it. He wanted her to come clean, but she denied it. God had mercy on her. She's had nine decades of a life without a child. and He takes it easy on her. And that's God's privilege and his alone. That's his prerogative and his alone. He can be merciful to whom he wants to. And he can judge who he wants to. And here Sarah is given mercy. And she will receive the joy that she's been longing for, the joy that she laughed at, the joy that she mocked. She still will receive it. She will be given a place at the table of God's great redemption story throughout all of history. She's going to be the mother of the serpent crusher. She's going to be the one who, through her, this serpent crusher will restore this world and bring order to the story of humanity. And it is through her that the covenant will continue. She has a place of honor at the table. But it leads me to my third point. We have to love the true host. At the end of Romans, after Paul has painstakingly spelled out the beauty of the gospel, he says this in Romans 12, 13. Listen to it. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now that last phrase, seek to show hospitality, I want to zero in on it for a second because it's fascinating in Greek. That fr- the phrase literally means pursue hospitality. Now the kind of pursuit we're talking about is the same word they use for persecution. It's quite amazing. It's like if you see hospitality walking down the street, chase him, chase him away almost. Like it's Follow that, pursue it, head towards it. You want to put it to flight, chase it down. The ESV just hasn't really captured the force of the phrase by saying, seek to show hospitality. The Christian not only seeks to show hospitality, but makes it a priority. By the time you get to Romans 12 and you've read the gospel and you've read God's love for you and his predestination and and his foreknowledge and all of these things and you come after it and you're thinking, wow, how beautiful is the gospel. And Paul says to you, Pursue hospitality, chase it down, find it wherever you can. 
Find every opportunity. Our lives should be ready and open to welcome people in. We've got to be like Abraham. We have to lift up our eyes and we have to see the need. We have to lift up our eyes and be ready to welcome. 1 Peter 4, 8-9 Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sin. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Peter here is saying that we need to be the kind of people that not only chase down opportunities to be hospitable, but people who don't grumble. Really, another way to say it is people that not only who do it, but love doing it. That don't complain about it. That don't whine about it. They don't have someone over to their house. And then as soon as they leave, they can use that as an opportunity to complain about that person that they just invited over. That's not genuine. Paul, Peter says here, love one another earnestly. Earnestly, that word means sincere, genuine, truthfully. We shouldn't be a group. Politeness sometimes is one of the worst sins. Because it, by being polite, we're just super deceitful to everyone around us. We're really polite to them, but really we don't like them. We can't stand them. We, don't want, we want them out of our lives. But we're nice to them. We want them to think we like them. That's deceit. That's deceptive. We're not, we're not having people over because that's the polite thing to do. We're having people over because we love them. And that is a very different thing. To love one another earnestly means to show hospitality to one another earnestly. You can tell whether a church loves their members because they invite them over. And if that's not happening, then it shows that there's not much love within the church. The giver and the receiver honour each other. The host honours the guest and the guest honours the host. We've got to be good guests too in hospitality. We can't just be receivers. The host makes a great meal and tries to make the guests at home. The guest knows how to not take advantage of the host and to leave on time. John Piper says that we should let our hospitality be an extension or overflow of God's love for you. Passage you may be thinking about as we were reading Genesis 18, Hebrews 13, 1-2. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. What are we talking about? Genesis 18, aren't we? This is exactly what's happened. Once again, Paul in Hebrews, he ties hospitality to love. This verse is definitely referring to our story in Genesis. Abraham thought that the men that came to his tent were that, just men. They're just strangers. And he finds out later that they're angels. And one was the Lord. And he did it unawares. You don't know what God has planned for each stranger that passes by your tent. Lift up your eyes and see what opportunities God has for you because the most natural thing for us to do is to do exactly what Hebrews 13 says not to do, which is neglect it. We neglect showing hospitality. He says, do not neglect it. And this isn't just life advice. This is a commandment. To fail to show hospitality is to reject and disobey a direct commandment from God. As I said before, it's a non-negotiable. Hospitality is a response to God's work in us. Listen to Leviticus 19, 33 to 34. Look how God directs the Israelites 
He says this, when a stranger sojourns, travels with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. God doesn't tell them that showing hospitality is the right thing to do. It is the right thing to do. He tells them that it is that they should show hospitality because it is what he has done for them. He has done that very thing for them. They were strangers in Egypt and God has welcomed them into his household. They were strangers and oppressed, but God has set them free. They were hungry and God gave them a place at the table. They were without a place to call their home and he gave them a land. And what I'm telling you right now isn't a bunch of busy work and moral do-goodness. I'm not giving you a list of moral things to do so you can go away and tick it and go, oh, I'm a good boy, I'm a good girl. No, it's embedded in the character of God. And a Christian who is a new creation has been transformed by the hospitality of a good God. It is the mark of a new creation. It is a mark of a new Christian. And God says to the Israelites, you know, I have made a home for you. Make a home for the outsider. Make a home for the stranger. But we're all the same. We're all Israel and Egypt because we were once strangers and we were once outsiders. Ephesians 2.12 Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Paul is saying, remember that time before you knew Christ because you were a stranger. You were an outsider. You had no hope and you were without God in the world. You were alienated from God's people. You did not have Abraham's covenant. You were not his descendant. You were without hope. You had no place at the table and no position before him. And I don't care if you were born in a Christian family or not. None of us are a part of his kingdom until we have been born again. Ephesians 2.19 So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are a fellow citizen with the saints and members of the household of God. All of us have been given a place at the table. All of us have been welcomed in. All of us have become fellow saints and members of God's own household. How good is that? You're not just given a morsel of bread, but a lavish feast. God doesn't just forgive your sins, but he welcomes you in as a beloved son or daughter. You're no longer strangers, but a member of God's household. And if that does not stir your heart, then I do not know what will. If that will not cause you to love hospitality and to long to show hospitality, I do not know what will. How can we not show hospitality to others? It doesn't matter who you are, whether you're 8 years old or 18 or 88 years old, whether you have a home or you don't have a home, whether you have a job or you don't have a job. Hospitality is not having everyone over for a meal, although that's a kind of hospitality. Hospitality is welcoming people in, inviting them in and giving them a seat at whatever table it is in front of you. Sometimes it's as simple as sharing your roll up with someone at recess, right? 
Hospitality is in every opportunity that we have. And so just as Abraham, we need to be looking for opportunities to be hospitable. We need to be looking for opportunities to welcome in the outsider. And we need to remember that there is one loving, holy God who saw you alienated and a stranger and welcomed you in. And if you know that, you can welcome anyone. Let's pray. Father, how do we even begin to reflect on your goodness that you show to us? That while we were lost, you welcomed us in. That while we were so far away, that you made us members of your household. Lord, it just destroys me to think that we're your beloved children. For Lord, I would be satisfied with a morsel of bread. I'd be satisfied with the outside, outskirts of heaven. But you welcomed us in as sons and daughters. And we have a seat at the table. I thank you, Lord, for this church. And I pray that we would be a church marked by hospitality. Please do this work by your spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen.